0: Uh, no, I'm, I'm not going to do the countdown again <laughs> this time because it's, it, was, it was kind of a dumb joke
1: and
0: <laughs> didn't really make any sense the first time. Uh, welcome to Tell Me Why I'm Wrong, the internet's favorite podcast about why Amos and Sophie are wrong. Uh, I'm Amos, one of and- your co-hosts.
1: And I'm Sophie, the other one.
0: And um, this is a show where each of us uh, runs our mouth for a few minutes about something we don't know very much about. And maybe the other person does. And then the other person explains all the different ways that uh, they're wrong. And then we switch it up in the second half. And um, uh, and that's what we do. So We get
1: our correct on.
0: Exactly. We get our correct on. Uh, So thanks to everyone who listened to our first episode. We had a lot of fun doing it, and um, we're glad you're here for episode two. Um, Sophie, do we have any other business before we get to it? Let's get to it. Let's get to it. So uh, I'm going to go first this time, and I'm going to tell you, Sophie, Mm. why no one reads poetry anymore. And just a little bit of background for people who don't know. uh, Sophie is actually a published poet. Um, so she has a lot of emotions invested in what I'm about to say. <laughs> I think, a- I think a- that's and accurate. And Amos
1: is, a, is a professional mental health, a, pr- a mental health professional. Sure, so I'm, I'm, I am a mental health he professional. He knows all about whatever emotional problems may arise. Oh,
0: exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, so why no one reads poetry anymore. So basically it's for two mutually reinforcing reasons. Um, Yes, so uh, the vast majority of poetry produced over the last 500 years, we'll say, um, has been literary. That is, its creation was bound up in the writing process, and and it's primarily enjoyed through silent reading. Mm. That's a mode of engagement that's less less and less relevant in the modern world, thanks to technological advancement. Starting in the 20s and 30s, radio created an oral mass media. Later in the 50s, television produced visual. Uh, These are more immediate media than reading, uh, which brings us to number two. Partially because of its literary nature, poetry often ends up being very dense, requiring uh, significant time, energy, and background knowledge to fully appreciate. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and, and some movies uh, work the same way, but let's be honest, films that require that much effort don't exactly have mass audiences either. So, basically, um, poetry used to be more of a popular medium, or a popular art form, but radio and television peeled off those uh, that popular mass audience, leaving only the hardcore artsy poetry fans, who love obscurantism, <laughs> causing the form to move even further from the mainstream. So it created a, uh, basically a, a death spiral for poetry. Now, I, I actually think there's hope here. Uh, just as the technology of radio and television killed literary poetry, the te- technology of the internet could give birth or perhaps rebirth to a different kind of poetry. Uh, Joe Weisenthal wrote a really interesting article a few weeks ago about how social media like Twitter, Snapchat, and Facebook uh, have a lot of the features of an oral world as opposed to literary. In an oral world and in social media, ideas are expressed pithily, concretely, and repeatedly. Um, perhaps we'll see a new poetic art that takes advantage of these features of the medium. It won't be Homer, but it will be something more like O oral poetry than the literary poetry we've known. So, tell me why I'm wrong.
1: Well, that was very articulate and convincing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and uh, I think in the argument that you've built, it would be hard to tell you that you're wrong or why you're I love, wrong.
0: I love hearing that.
1: But I'm going to walk oh, all the I, way back to the start. I knew start. there was a butt. Yeah, okay. there always is. Uh, because before we even get to the question of why people... What was it? Why no one mm-hmm. reads poetry anymore. Literally no one. It seems to me that we would have to prove that no one reads poetry anymore. And going yes. even further than that, I would really think about this question. I would break it all the way down like the annoying close reader that I am, which I've trained to, been trained to be <laughs> by reading a lot of poetry, and say... Okay, if we have to prove that no one reads poetry anymore, I want to know who the no one is, or who the anyone was, or the someone, or the everyone was. And if we're going to say anymore, I want to understand what was, it, who are these, what was this time when people did read, or I think it was the question was why does no one care about poetry anymore? I don't remember exactly what the original yeah, well, thing I, okay, maybe but, I but maybe. But so my question is okay, like five hundred years. So you said Homer, but that's like that's even like that sure, excludes that's more like Homer that's more on. like twenty
0: seven hundred. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. so at some point poetry was all oral because there was no such thing as writing. Yeah, and then you know both existed for a while. But I you know I, I somewhat arbitrarily picked five hundred years. Yeah, through. I yeah. I
1: I think that all of the things that you're saying about technology and like the technique of writing and receiving poetry and all those kinds of things are true. But I guess the question, I'm, I'm more skeptical and I don't have the data for this and I wish I did. And maybe somebody does and they'll give it to us and and then we'll know really who is wrong. But I wonder whether this, like, let's say not 500 years, let's say 100 years or or, or 50, like just Mm -hmm. to start. I'm not sure that I have so rosy a view of the everyone versus the no one then, Um, there's an idea that people read a lot more poetry then than they do now, but I'm not sure that's true. I think that may be a distortion of, um, I mean, we have all these artifacts from this time and we care about the poetries that got written and published and the reviews that were written and the things that people said about them and what becomes famous and what gets published in analogies, and uh, not analogies, anthologies. (laughs) Um, But like, do we really know that a higher percentage of the population used to care about or read poetry 50 to 100 years ago well, than now? I don't let, know.
0: Let me let me put it this way. Uh, we, we have a thing called the Poet Laureate of the United States. Mm. And I don't know. Do you know how long they've been doing that?
1: Yes, I do. Um, how,
0: long, how long?
1: Well, the uh, okay. So I used to know this really well, but I don't think it's very long. Um, I think Kennedy may have been the first president to have a poet laureate. Previously, there was something called the libra- Librarian. It was a Librarian of Congress appointment. And you could. Be, it was a special poet appointment. And this also, I think, uh, originated in the 50s and 60s. But it's, it's not like Lincoln had a poet laureate or George yeah. Washington had one, either.
0: But, but even now, can you imagine, just as a thought experience, like, like if, there, if we didn't have poet laureates before, could you imagine such a thing being created now? Like, that seems kind of bananas to I, me. I actually
1: don't. I mean, I don't know uh, about the national or the, the federal position, but I know that a lot of towns are creating positions for Poets Laureate now, and I happen Ooh. to know... Uh, a person who I think is the first poet laureate of her small city. Um, sh- she may not be the first, but I, I think that there wasn't one before her. Um, that doesn't mean that it comes with any. The position comes with any like job security or money or anything. I think it's a you know it's an honorary position. But yeah, yeah. I actually think that that might be a new trend. Um, that doesn't again that doesn't mean that more people care than before or less people care than before. Um, but I guess I'm wondering whether, like, we're even using the right rubric. How do we know what people care about and what people read? I mean, it's notoriously hard. Reception theory and the history of reception is notoriously hard to pin down because it's really hard to understand who and what was watching yeah. or and there's a reading. and
0: there's a lot of contingency involved in what's, what survives to the present day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, will,
1: I will say that I think one thing that I've noticed is that um, say in the in the early sixties, or or even before in the in the forties and fifties, it seems that there was a really special cadre in, in the United States and in let's say Britain. So in like the Anglo-American English speaking world, there was a really special group of editors. So people who were literary critics and writers um, who who happened to become editors of journals. And they really cultivated talent and reached out to their friends and everyone sort of knew each other. And that can be really insular and closed and problematic, but it also made this really robust poetic community. And I think like the people who now would be in those roles are not in those roles. I think that we don't, we don't live in a golden age of editors right now and that might have something to do with the not caring so much because if you have these kind of centers of production or of publication yeah. that, that can be I think like really invigorating and exciting um,
0: well I, I would put it this way I think I think, for one if, if we don't live in a golden age of editors and, and uh, maybe that's true but I think that is likely also a function of technology for sure in in that, that that uh you know by by democratizing the means of distribution the internet has uh eliminated a lot of the uh power of editors over what makes it out there in the world um
1: but i, I think that was like that, that was gone long before the internet but I guess the other question I have is, what's poetry? Because, um, you know, there's this rise of, of well, first of all, there's like, the, it's not new, but spoken word is, um, is an oral form. That's, but definitely not poetry. Well, we could have a conversation about that. But I, I mean, I, I think it, it often is pretty one note. And so that can be, I think that can disqualify it as like good poetry. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But I mean... Bob Dylan just got the Nobel Prize for Literature, and some poets I know are really pissed off because they feel that... um, That was the
0: one thing we had, they said.
1: Sure, but I'm not pissed off. I I think Bob Dylan is probably, I mean, uh, possibly the greatest living poet of the English language, and I... So uh, I don't... I I don't have
0: strong feelings about Bob Dylan, uh, I guess... I don't know. I, I, I've heard the argument that if you read his lyrics, they don't actually hold up as poetry. I mean, I they I they function the prize. as song lyrics.
1: I would give him the prize just for the, the, the pump don't work because vandals took the handles. I, I, okay. I mean, right there. Give, but, him a, give him some kind of award for that.
0: But okay. I actually think that that award going to Dylan uh, speaks to my argument, which is that other means... Uh, other sorts of media have, um, have taken poetry's, well, <laughs> have taken poetry's place in the world. Like, this is an award, the, the Nobel Prize for Literature, that has historically gone to poets and novelists. Mm-hmm. And playwrights. And, and playwrights, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and now it's gone to someone whose medium, it's not even, yes, he like, writes it in words, Probably, but really, his his <laughs> medium is recorded music, which is which is a uh, a 20th century art form. Um, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, it's he, not it's not just a so, he's not a, just a songwriter. He's a he's a, a creator of recorded music.
1: I suppose that's true, but I feel like he, he kind of belongs to like a, a bardic tradition.
0: No, no, but but again, I think that, that again goes back to my the the point I ended on, which is so, that so the technology is sort of re re. Uh, reprioritizing the oral uh, Hmm. in place of the literary. So
1: I have some some thoughts about that, but I would say Mm. it's really interesting to me that you are defining the poetic through the kind of container that it lives in, whether whether it's printed material or recorded material or uh, tweeted material. Yeah. Um, and I, I wouldn't do that. Um, I think I have a kind of more capacious or like looser billowy idea of the poetic. And I think, I mean, I suppose I think that there's a lot of poetry that isn't very poetic. And I mean, one of the things we could say... Um, one of the things we could say that, that wouldn't be very nice to poets today, but that might be a, a better explanation for whether or not people care, is that I think a lot of poet, poetry that's being written and published is not f- great and, and not fun to read and not moving and not musical. And that doesn't mean that there's not really great poets writing, but this is where I go back to that question of um, the editorial, but, but also like... There are golden ages of lots of things. Maybe mm-hmm. we're not in a golden age of poetry. I, I don't know. But, but I, would, well. I, I would protest about against this idea that, that social media uh, replicates the oral. I've seen those oh, arguments yeah, yeah. too. Okay. And I, I, I mean, I'm not a linguist, so I'm way out on a limb here. But I just mm-hmm. don't buy it.
0: Can you say more?
1: Yeah, I mean, people say that like for example, texting is sort of a way of capturing speech. Um, right. that when you text, you text like you talk. And I just don't think that's true at all. It's so visual. Yeah. Emota- you can com- communicate like paragraphs just through emoticons, right? It's just like, you know, piece of sushi, poop, and it means something, you know? I it doesn't. mean, <laughs> Well, no. No, I, I, yeah, no, I know thing. what you, you mean. Know what I mean.
0: But it, it's I definitely also- a visual medium.
1: Sure, and I also think that people don't talk the way they text. They they talk the way the texting language asks them to text, and I think that's true of yeah. Twitter too. And I also, but think I, I think
0: I think when people say that they, I don't I don't think they mean that literally. Maybe I'm wrong, but when people say that, that texting talk is the way people actually talk, I feel like they're actually just saying don't don't expect me to end every sentence with a period,
1: <laughs> you know? But or yeah, or, no, for sure, I would. Or it's a more that.
0: casual sort of communication.
1: I Uh, I mean, if someone does say,
0: if someone does mean that more strictly that they, that they text the way they talk, then that's weird. That that person sounds weird when you talk to them.
1: Yeah. Or they text weirdly. When you hear people talk the way that they talk on the internet, it sounds really affected to me. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, You know, I could say something, one of the ones I don't like very much is uh, when people use the word because without the word of. So they'll be like, "I can't come over because lateness. I can't come over because reasons. Like because of reason, right? It's like it's something that people. It's, it's just so f- annoying. But but I but there are linguists who say like this is so great because now we have a way of kind of like un- understanding." spoken language that's already capped. Like we don't have to transcribe it. It's like already captured for us. Uh, And I just like, don't think that's true. And I also think that emotionally and socially it's not true because we know that people say things on social media that they would never say to your face.
0: Sure. That's true.
1: There's just like, it just seems like a totally different kind of speech to me. Uh, Now we've wandered way off topic, but, but I mean, maybe there's a poetry that can emerge from that. I think there's a poetry that can emerge from anything, but I guess I'm just still wondering, like, is there a mythic time when people, when some, like, large segment of society really, like, read and enjoyed and cared about poetry? I, I want to believe that that's true, and I think it's true of the poetic, like, that we always have some investment in the poetic, in in the things, in speech, or in in... in works of art or in song that are poetic but like i don't i don't know that there's a time when like some majority of the population of any population is like really like wow i love reading t.s Eliot so much
0: well so i think i think this also i I mean i think you're right i don't think t.s Eliot was ever popular entertainment but i think poetry was um i mean uh i'm trying to think of an example here but like
1: but not song. I mean, like actual written poetry. Are you thinking? Well,
0: may- maybe written, maybe not written. I'm not sure. Because
1: um, I mean, aren't we also like talking about some slice of society that's like somewhat elite? Always. Well, I mean, unless maybe. we're talking about folk but again, songs. I think... and, well, and maybe. Like... Mm. Sorry, go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say maybe maybe elite, but I, but I think it's a question of degree. I think right now you have to say that poetry, as we normally understand the word. Is a uh, very elite.
1: Um, do you mean only poetry that's being produced right now, or do you mean yeah. poetry from the past? Because no, I let's mean, say poetry, like that's being Garrison right Keillor puts out like his book oh, of American poems. Don't get, don't get me like. started on Garrison Keillor. <laughs> <laughs> no, because, seriously, like, I would not tell you why you're wrong. Screw I'm sure that guy. I would completely agree with you on all points. Um, but like, I mean, people do read poetry of the past it seems to me so can we say that people don't care about it just because they don't care about the poetry that's being written on the cutting edge today because i would say that like very few people read keats when he was alive either
0: uh yeah okay so uh two things one i think i think we're our our conversation here is is struggling for um
1: definitions definitions
0: and just precision of yeah. words like like a lot of people and no one. Yeah, well that's what so, I mean.
1: Like where is this data? I don't know.
0: Mm-hmm. I I mean uh that's yeah, no it's that's a good.
1: Like someone's done this work, right? Like we don't even know what country we're talking List, about. <laughs> listeners,
0: please research the past and and uh, send us an email and and let us know what the what was going on back then. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> ah! Yeah, I mean I I think I think uh um yeah, I mean maybe maybe this is an example of, of me having an idea about what was going on in the past that is not that is not accurate. But you know geez, you know, I I, I feel like yeah, maybe maybe this maybe this, maybe this is just me me making stuff up, but I feel like
1: <laughs> Go right ahead.
0: Well, just that that poetry being even if you talk about so I think this is definitely true of po- poetry being produced today, that it has very small audiences. Sure. And like if you, if you just look at the, you know, the volumes of new poetry collections or books being sold, you know, they're, they're bad, I think. It's
1: not a best n- – nothing is a bestseller.
0: Ever, yeah. And even if you look at old poetry, probably, you know, like, a, like a, the work of dead poets – you know, some, probably the vast majority like of sales of those of books.
1: <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I was terrible. I guess I couldn't, I, it was coming out of my mouth that I knew it was wrong, but I just did it anyway. I'm sorry.
0: My, my guess is that the vast majority of those sales are to, to people who are required to buy those books. Sure. Um, so, So yeah, there's maybe like, so I, I guess I, I, I think that just the... the Audience, like the, the willing audience of like people who, who aren't required to read these books for or, or poems for a class, people who just read poetry for fun, uh, the work of living poets or dead poets is 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 really small right now.
1: Right, but I don't know how big it ever was. Like, if we're gonna really define it as like printed written. <laughs> Like stapled together, right? Like mm-hmm. books. I don't know. I really don't have the data on that. And I think, like, I do wonder whether like it gets distorted. Um, but I I agree with you that things that are in the same family as poetry is like certain kinds of folk stories and and songs yep. um, and oral traditions um, did used to be sort of owned and enjoyed and yeah and, and performed by a, a huge slice of the population yep. um a huger slice of the population but i'm but but i feel like and and they are all in the same family with with poems i think but i don't know i mean if we're gonna say there, there is like a history of the book too and 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 like weird ins and outs and contingencies and specifics about how poetry got to a place where it was being Printed and written down, uh, written, you know, printed and distributed in books. And I don't know, I, I feel like I don't, yeah, we are lacking precision. And I guess the question I have is if we say technology has destroyed poetry's audience, um, partly because it's like, created this elite, um, obscure, difficult poetry. Uh, then... or, or I would say that the
0: obscure, difficult poetry was always there. But it, it, it actually, technology destroyed uh, the audience, or, or peeled away the audience for more accessible poetry. So, so
1: what's really interesting that is would, that... That would
0: be my argument.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe. But like in 1965, maybe? No, it can't be that late. Earlier than that. The, the poet, incredible Randall Jarrell, writes a wonderful essay called The Obscurity of the Poet, and it's super beautiful. And he starts out by saying, "Like when I was asked to talk about the obscurity of the poet, I was so glad, because I've suffered from this obscurity all my life. But then I realized that you wanted me to talk about why poetry itself is obscure, not why <laughs> poets are unknown. He's funny. You know, he's really funny. That is funny. And he, he goes through a lot of these arguments, maybe not exactly the ones that you've made. I haven't read it in a long time, but it is really good, and everyone should read it. Um, but he says, Uh, You know some similar stuff, and then he says, but at the same time like I realized that in in the last year like according to some survey like some high percentage over 50% of Americans read no book at all and So if we're comparing if we're saying no one reads poetry anymore He's saying they don't read much of anything anymore and uh, he talks about you know comic books and TV and radio, and the same way that maybe you are too. but but it's interesting because even at that point, forty years ago, fifty years ago, um, he's sort of saying the same thing, but he's sort of um situating it in a lack of readership overall. And you're actually saying that's changed. That's not true. People read all the time. It's just that they read the internet.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, I think people read more than they've ever read.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I have I don't like the internet.
0: Oh wow, okay, sounds like we've got a um, <laughs> topic for a later date.
1: Yeah, I I I, mm, I don't know. I I don't want to see the rise of Twitter poetry. I really don't. I I don't want to read that. You need to
0: spend more time on Twitter.
1: I need to spend exactly the amount of time on Twitter that I'm spending, which is almost zero. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nothing that I see there makes me want to spend any more time there. Oh my God, it's a beautiful
0: place. Um, is
1: it though? I mean, isn't it just like a place for your adrenal glands to get a workout? No. Like just to get like, just get, like outraged and anxious no. about things all the time. I mean, look,
0: look uh, uh, Twitter is what you make of it, which is, which is part of the beauty of it. Like mm. if you want to follow a bunch of people who are going to tweet, things that are outrageous so that you can get outraged, like, go ahead. You can follow those people.
1: I'm not going to do that. I already or, have that on Facebook. Yeah.
0: Well, or, or yeah. And, and they're my friends. <laughs> so, so I don't go on Facebook very much. I um, don't anymore either. Facebook, well, cause Facebook, it's, it's harder to, to curate in that way. Cause you end up like following all these people just because they're your friends in real life, even though you're not at all interested in anything they have to say. And Twitter is <laughs> all about. That seems
1: like a problem in itself, though. I mean, this is just so. But
0: tw- Twitter is is just you just follow the people who say interesting things.
1: But isn't that part of the problem with Twitter that it creates this echo chamber, chamber where you've just curated your own little world and you're if, only hearing you're, the things that you want to hear?
0: If you're only interested in hearing things you agree with, sure. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, if if you want to do that, you can. But again, it's it's what you want to make of it. So, like, I follow people I disagree with. You know, I follow. Mm. Um what's the guy's name uh Michael Doherty, who's like a conservative Catholic writer or uh um uh Julian Sanchez, who's like a libertarian who writes about information security issues mm-hmm. you know there there are people who write about things I'm interested in but sort of come at them from angles that i i you know generally don't agree with mm-hmm. you know um or people who i I agree with some of what they have to say, but I really disagree with others of it and and you know so you you, if you want to do twitter that way you you can um but i'm specifically thinking of of a real pioneer of a new form of twitter um which is is uh jeet here he's a, a writer for the new republic and other people do this but he's he's a pioneer of the twitter essay sure uh where he he you know does like numbered threaded tweets and um and he'll start with, like, his thoughts on a subject. It's often something crazy, like, you know, something that he could never get published on in The New Republic. It'll be, like, you know, politics and uh, Marvel Comics in the 60s and how that relates to...
1: I'm excited yeah. that we've now mentioned comics twice because we're going to have a comics episode in yes, the future. And yeah. I'm pretty psyched about it.
0: I think that's going to be a good one. Yeah, but, I think so, too. But, and then as he as he does the... Essay, you know, people are responding to the points he's making and he can incorporate those responses into the essay as he goes and like pull out things that people are saying and either say, you know, what? actually, you're right. I was I was wrong about this or I didn't know that that mm-hmm. changes things or, yeah, that's sort of true, but it's also not true in these ways. And it ends up being a conversation that's all incorporated into this one threading Twitter yeah, essay, I mean, and it I mean, that doesn't I mean, work in any other medium.
1: No, and that's all lovely and great, and I understand we're supposed to celebrate all these things, but it seems really uh, distracting and uh, oh, totally. frustrating to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I but I think you raised something really interesting that I had a kind of insight, which was it seems to me, I mean obviously I know that Twitter can include links to long form journalism and Mm -hmm. that you could do a Twitter essay that has sort of numbered pieces um, and so on. But it also seems that like part of the power of Twitter is the, what is that, 140 characters? That you sort of say these pithy things Mm -hmm. and, and that it can be emotive and fast moving and provocative and very much about getting a response all the time. And I think that actually in a way is antithetical to what poetry can give us, which is a a kind of stillness and contemplativeness that it demands from you, good poetry does. Even poetry that's simple and not obscure asks you to sort of stop and think and puzzle and wonder and... Um, get very still in yourself. And I think that if we don't care about doing that, that's about maybe about some cultural things that are going on, but not necessarily about, and those may have something to do with technology, but not mm. necessarily about um, poetry having failed. I mean, we are in a world where people are addicted to to. to their phones and uh don't sit still very much and don't um stay with one thing very much i mean attention spans are kind of splintered and i know mine is for sure i mean i am not like i mean i read for a living and i i used to be able to read for hours and hours and i can't now but one thing that poetry can help us do is just stay in one place mentally and Mm -hmm. and i think that's really valuable but if people don't care about it i think i don't think that's like an indictment of poetry or that it's (sighs) that it's destroyed itself in some way but that it can actually be a sanctuary and offer us something if we care to find it Mm. and I don't think we know right now who the really great poets of 2016 are I mean I know a few that I really like but only in the future do we really go oh you know who was great was blah 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 and you know who's kind of overrated was blah 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 and Mm -hmm. We're. I don't know that. I think there are a few moments in time when people really know. They're like, oh yeah, you know who's like, and it's very clear to everybody who the greats are. But most of the time, I think it's not. And and people who are really popular, like novelists or poets who are really popular, or playwrights, even. You look back and you're like, who was that guy? Like that's terrible. That's just melodramatic bullshit. <laughs> um, you know. I mean, that happens all the time. And uh, I don't know. This is neither here nor there. But I kind of don't. I kind of don't want to give up on the idea that poetry is something that we could care about, even in the form that it exists in now.
0: Well, Sophie, I think that's a great place to leave that discussion. Yeah. And, and move on to round two.
1: Yeah, we're right at that right moment.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Exactly the right moment.
1: Excellent. Well, is it time for me to uh, get schooled?
0: Uh, we'll see. depends on how <laughs> wrong you are.
1: Well, I'm worried that I won't be quite as wrong as it it might be fun to be. Um, Because what I really want is just to get you to talk about what's awesome about ancient Greece. Um, And, you know, I'll say that, like, by no means an expert, I have a real enthusiasm and fondness for that world that gets called ancient Greece. I Mm -hmm. love the plays, the comedies and tragedies, the poems, both lyric and epic, the myths, the cool art. I mean, everything about it is just really exciting and beautiful um, and interesting. Uh, And the only thing I have to say, I really can't either I can't kind of fit it in is the philosophy and we'll get to that because I know that's something you can speak to. Um, But one thing that you've talked about in the past um, which I think even I as someone who's taught that quite dubious course known as Western Civ am guilty of is um, some parts of ancient Greece are more ancient than others. Uh, So does it really make sense? Does it really hang together as a as a not as a period but like as a as a unitary thing mm-hmm. uh homer lives in i think what the 8th century before the common era democratic reforms in athens are the 6th century before the common era and socrates is the 4th century before uh same Fifth. same thing um so i mean isn't that a long time isn't there a lot going on in between there that maybe doesn't fit in. Is there even a world we can call ancient Greece? Does it look like what we think it looks like? Um, And here's my beef with uh, philosophy. It seems so stubbornly obscure. Speaking of obscure, (laughs) I can't believe it's even still relevant. Uh, It's seen as so elementary to all of Western thought, whatever that is. And I I can't imagine these guys in their chitons just like lounging around in orchard groves, just like shooting the shit. It just totally falls apart for me. And when I teach students who have taken philosophy classes and have a handle, on say Aristotle uh, I just I can't I can't believe that it's not just that somebody has glossed it for them I mean have they really struggled through this because it seems so totally difficult and I guess obscurity maybe is the theme of our day but um, how, how does this all work I mean I, I, I can't make it make sense to me so t- <laughs> how, tell me tell how, me what to think tell me why it, I'm wrong how
0: does it all work
1: how does it all work what is ancient Greece why is it even a thing
0: Uh, I, I mean, I I have no idea how to answer that question. (laughs) I mean, so, so, uh, I mean, I I think you're right that the term ancient Greece sort of elides a lot of, um, a lot of diversity and a lot of differences within that one word.
1: Um, Right. All the city states, all the islands. What is,
0: yeah. Sure. Yeah. And, and, you know, Greek speakers, the, the earliest Greek speakers came to Greece, I want to say like
1: 2000 back then? BC,
0: 1500 BC. Like in the some, olden
1: times, you mean?
0: Like way back then, <laughs> way, way back then. Uh, um, so, you know, Greek is the, the, I think it's the longest continuously spoken language in the world. Really? Is
1: that right? Is that I
0: don't right? know? I don't know. Um, but it's a very it's a very old language.
1: It's like the shark of languages. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um so
1: um sorry, that was not very organized. No. It threw a lot of things at you.
0: So so yeah, I mean like um ancient Mycenaean culture. Oh, yeah. Was very different from classical Greek culture. Yeah,
1: I mean, even just the word Mycenaean just gets me all excited.
0: Yeah, you know, so that's that's Bronze Bronze Age Greece. Yeah, it
1: suggests all this like this particular aesthetic and this particular idea, and it's so exciting. But like, I don't really know what it is and how it. What does it have to do with the classical? Those seem so different.
0: Yep. Jeez. Oh, so I'm, no. I'm looking at I'm looking at uh, Wikipedia here, and it says Greek Greek emerged as a separate linguistic lineage around 4,000 BC. So, it's a very very old language um, language group. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. 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 And and ancient Greek. You know, I don't know where do you want to cut that off? Is that I guess that'd be before just before like medieval Greek. So you're talking oh. about like, like from somewhere around, you know. 2000 B.C. to like 400 A.D., something like that, or, or C.E., as you historians say.
1: We're trying to, uh, you know, like not be quite as much assholes as we no, were it's, in the it's past. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, that covers a lot of a lot of variation. I, I'm not sure what else to say about it. I think I mean, I think one thing for um, people who are reading Greek literature is, is it can it's easy to get a little bit lost in the to not understand some of the, the context that happened, you know, especially if, if you think of everything ancient Greek as just ancient Greece back, back in the day, then, (laughs) you know, reading, um, reading uh, the tragedies, you may not, you may not understand that the subjects were, Ancient history and ancient myth to the people who perform, who wrote and performed them right. in ancient times. So they're right. sort of double, double ancient.
1: Well, to us, but to them, it was just regular ancient. Yeah, they were the contemporaries. I know it's true. I mean, and, it's... and
0: and to classical Greeks reading Homer, Homer was like ancient history about even ancienter. But
1: but was it ancient though? I mean, isn't Homer only like what three or four hundred years? Previous? Yeah,
0: so ancient is maybe not the right word but like, you know, classical Athenians would
1: archaic have... in some way.
0: Yeah I, yeah, I don't want to say archaic cuz that has that has, that a, has its own yeah. special meaning. But
1: what would we but say like Shakespeare or something? More like Shakespeare, maybe Chaucer. Yeah,
0: yeah maybe more like Chaucer. Like uh, Homeric Greek as a language is, is very different from right, classical right. Greek and specifically the vocabulary. I mean, the, the, the grammar is different, but yep. the vocabulary is quite different. And they oh, interesting. See, I'm lo- so
1: glad I got you to talk about this.
0: Yeah. So, so classical, uh, Greeks actually had to study vocabulary in order to be able to sure. read Homer fluently.
1: Is this about uh, or- the colors? Can we talk about the colors?
0: We can talk about the colors. I, I don't. I don't think it's about that specifically. But, but they yeah. We can talk about the colors
1: because even in uh, in like later lyric poetry, the colors are weird. Like flower colors that don't seem like they should be colors. Of, I remember this from like my one Greek poetry class. But then there's all this sort of like conjecture about how the sea being the color of wine and things mm-hmm. that are blue that shouldn't be blue. And what's this thing about how maybe the Greeks didn't even have blue as a concept? I, I mean, all yeah. oh, this is. Does this is this just like just bogus and doesn't even do anything for us?
0: I mean, my my my. I, I guess the way I would think about, it, or it's green. I think maybe they didn't have a word for green. Yeah. So so I mean, wine dark sea. It's it's a lovely evocative phrase for people sure who don't is. know. It's it's all over the Odyssey. Yeah, uh, I think it's in I think it's in the Iliad too. Um, I would just say if you if you are ever out sailing on the Aegean and you look down into it. It has this deep, almost purple sort of color. Yeah. So it doesn't strike me as a, as a, as a strange way to describe it, it, the achievement. It never
1: did to me either, but then there were all these questions of like, how does, was their wine a different color? Were they drinking watered wine? Did it, it have honey? No, it? it's,
0: it's, it's just <laughs> this dark, rich color. Yeah. And, 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 and in the deep water, in, in places, it really does look almost purple.
1: I would believe it.
0: So the other thing I would say is, um, you know, just to bring in a little bit of philosophy here, let's, let's exercise the principle of charity here. And if people are saying things that seem ludicrous on the, on their face, Mm -hmm. like maybe they're just using words in different ways that we don't quite understand. Totally. Like maybe they're saying something that's true. So, so if someone is describing a flower as quote unquote, the wrong color, like maybe they just perceive colors completely different from us. Or maybe that word just means something a little bit different from what you thought it meant.
1: That makes perfect sense to me. Or maybe right. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as going and looking at what they looked at. And then you're like, oh, yeah, it does look like that. I've had that experience as an historian of a period much, much closer to us. Um, but like, it's, it can be a very simple fix. Right. So um so okay so bring in bring in the philosophy because I uh I will say that I I have not as an undergrad I certainly you know didn't have well I sort of steered away from it but I but I always have sort of a difficult time with the l- language of philosophy and the way that it builds on itself almost sort of mathematically like you have to accept certain kinds of propositions in order to move on and if you kind of can't get there then you're stuck that's how i often felt um but it seems like it's such a requirement for people um even now to sort of understand the world and at the same time it seems so obscure and so difficult um and it passes through just so much uh i mean it's sort of you get it from your teacher who tells you what it really means um i I just like i I don't know how to understand that
0: like what the for
1: Like, um, we still enshrine Greek philosophy so much in the discipline, but also just in the humanities overall. And I'll give you an example. I had a student who I liked very much in many ways, but, like, couldn't read a, couldn't read a primary source document to save his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, would look at, mm-hmm. look at something short and fairly simple and just sort of, like, I have no idea. And yet had taken a philosophy class and could kind of, like, reiterate certain what I think are, like, quite difficult ancient Greek philosophical themes mm-hmm. and I just thought to myself, like, well, okay, so did your teacher just lecture at you and explain this stuff to you? Because isn't oh, the yeah. whole point of like the Socratic method is that you already know and like by asking questions you can get there and that's how we all teach and blah blah blah. But like I don't think that I would ever get there. And I mean So yeah,
0: yeah. So that that I mean that you're you're pointing at, at um a division in the way people think about philosophy. Ooh, good. Yeah. So I would say that the, the predominant view is that philosophy is a field of study like other fields of study. Um, it, it works, it operates differently because there's not a lot of empirical content to it, sure. but it's, it's an investigation, uh, sure. using sort of minimal empirical content and lots and lots of logic and reasoning in order to, to discover truths about, uh, the world and the mind and yeah. blah blah blah. Okay, sure. Uh, so and That's great,
1: you're explaining to me. I'm so excited.
0: Yeah, and it's and it uh it's a it, it is a study, and and so if you're teaching that, you're probably not going to spend too much time worrying about whether or not the person can actually read Aristotle. Uh and you you probably are gonna lecture. And, and my guess is that that student uh was the victim of of lectures about Aristotle.
1: Wait, hang on. So Hold on, because I thought you were saying it's a method that you want your students to No, no, no. I'm not saying it's it. a
0: method. I mean, I'm saying it's a field of study.
1: Okay. So what you're saying is, but, there, but that there is a kind of content versus method thing. Yes. And so if you want your students to understand what Aristotle said, you just tell them. You tell them
0: what Aristotle said, and then they can use that as the basis for sort of further arguments.
1: But wouldn't Aristotle be mad about that?
0: I don't think Aristotle would.
1: With Socrates?
0: Yes. And Plato would. Okay. So now we're somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, so great. the other side of this division would be people who view philosophy primarily as a process, mm-hmm. uh, rather than as a as a field of knowledge, uh, where what's important is is the pursuit, uh, uh-huh. the uh, the effect on the you know Socrates and. Plato would say the soul, the psyche of the person exercising it.
1: I feel like you've also just described two different ways that have not been articulated uh, like in a central way or that wouldn't be recognized by a lot of people, the way that you're saying would, this is recognized by by philosophers or people who understand philosophy, but I think you've sort of just put, put this into um, terms that could apply to poetry too. Is Mm -hmm. poetry a method of understanding the world or apprehending beauty Mm -hmm. in language? Or is it something that you should just sort of, you should know some poems by Robert Frost. You should be able to know these things and you should have a kind of repertoire of, right? I mean, you were talking about that, about the sort of obscurity that like we, you have to have a certain kind of like toolbox to approach poetry because it's full of references. And I guess it sort of seems like a similar thing.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so I, I should say that this that this sort of um, methodological view is, is mm-hmm. I think is I'm not even sh- I'm not even sure that a lot of people who study philosophy would acknowledge that this is a legitimate division.
1: OK, they would say that that's logic or rhetoric or something like that. Yeah. Some other field.
0: O- yeah. Or, or you're actually getting to some sort of weird religious mumbo jumbo. <laughs> maybe maybe okay uh, so I, I should say that that having studied philosophy from someone who went to st john's college like that that was the sort of method that i was taught mm-hmm. philosophy where um you know there there was value to be had by engaging with primary sources with the actual words of the mm-hmm. philosophers
1: and maybe yeah. even in the original language, right?
0: Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we we read everything in in almost everything in translation. It wasn't, but but
1: I've seen your your dictionaries. You have you I, have some I have Greek read, reading, right? Yes,
0: I have. I have read some Plato in Greek. Um, but but that that's um, that's part of the process um, is actually like wrestling with the words of the mm-hmm. person. Now, I should say that that's maybe less of the process with Aristotle because. The stuff he wrote, he was trying to write as clearly as he could, and he was just trying to express his ideas.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it's very much the process for reading Plato, who writes in a self-consciously literary form. You know, he didn't, oh. Plato didn't yeah, write essays. Yeah. He wrote dialogues.
1: But what about like, okay, whoa, but see, now we're back to the whole like social media oral forms thing. He mm-hmm. wrote dialogues. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that he... But aren't they even more artificial because they're trying to capture a spoken form? Because when I think about the dialogues, I literally imagine, like, these dudes sitting around being like, well, what do you think about this, dum-dum? You know, and, like, I can't really believe that this is the kind of conversations that people were having, but I guess I can. Well, it's a
0: literary form, so I don't, I don't think you have to believe that they're, you know, anything like transcriptions of actual conversations. Though some people make that argument, especially sure. about the, the, you know, dialogue. Plato's dialogues that people think are, are, quote you know, early ones. They'll say like, oh yeah, this, he was, these early dialogues, he was trying to reconstruct a conversation that Socrates had with a guy right, one time. Right, right. Uh, I'm, and not, I think sh- we I'm sometimes not sure there's don't... any reason to think that that's true, but people but, say that. But isn't
1: that what we get? I mean, it seems to me that like for those of us who are not particularly, who haven't spent a lot of time studying with like, serious mentors about this. That's just the story you get. Like this was a conversation that Plato had with Mm -hmm. Socrates. Right? Where like here's the story that's here's the like weird conversation that Socrates had with that boy where like suddenly the boy realized he knew everything that he didn't think he knew just by being asked questions by Socrates. The slave boy, yeah. yeah. Sure. And like we all just sort of were like, okay, I guess that was like just happening around like just hanging out with like (laughs) What like with uh, Diogenes in his tub or something, just like hanging around, like right? I like have this cartoon version of like all these guys just kind of like hanging out in like the groves of Academe or whatever. And I guess maybe that's just not true. Okay, so good. All right, so now I have a timeline I can work. Yeah, no,
0: that was the yeah the the groves Academe that was uh, Aristotle's school. So later than uh, later than Socrates. I don't
1: don't have it's all back then to me. Yeah, and I'm uncomfortable with that. Cause it seems so undifferentiated. It's like, I don't know. It's like those weird paintings that are George Washington with the dinosaurs and like Elvis is there.
0: I like, I like those. I, I, I found one with, um, like, I think it's Bill Clinton with an Uzi and like, and he's like standing there with like a woman wrapped around his leg. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I have more I wanted to say about, Oh, so, well, no. So, 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 you know, people in the first school who who view philosophy as a body of knowledge will read Plato and they'll read, uh, they'll read the dialogues as, as just essays that happen to be written in dialogical form Mm -hmm. for no Mm -hmm. particular reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they'll read Socrates as being Plato's voice. Um, and other people m- might read those dialogues differently where like where questions like, you know, when was this happening might be important or where was this happening? Mm,
1: that's always important to me.
0: Yeah. Or, or how does this relate to other dialogues like like, oh, yeah. I'm I'm reading the Sophist. Um, Oh, that's interesting. You know, because of the, the setup at the beginning, we see that this is actually happening on the same day as the Theotetus. Like mm. what is that how is that important? What yeah. does that mean?
1: That's the kind of stuff that makes me feel so much more grounded.
0: Oh, I see. These are both dialogues that are happening after Socrates' trial but before his execution. Yeah. Huh. Um and, and then you start wondering, like, okay, so so if these are if these are literary works, then maybe we shouldn't assume that Socrates is speaking in Plato's voice.
1: But do you mean they're happening on that day or they were written on that day? They I mean, were they're happening later. on that day. They're
0: like little plays. And they, okay,
1: but, but they're little plays that were written
0: Who later. knows when they were written? We
1: don't know. Okay. We, we don't just really don't know.
0: know. There's, okay. you know there's, there's scholars who will tell you, you know, which, which ones were written roughly when, but um, honestly, what, I think like, it's all guesswork.
1: What were they written on and how do we still have this?
0: Yeah, so... Uh, I mean, we,
1: we have copies of copies of copies, right? I mean, that's what we yes, have, just like yep. Sappho or something.
0: Yep. So I think they were probably written on papyrus scrolls mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they were, yeah, copied onto other papyrus scrolls and they were found later. I mean, you know, one interesting thing is just uh, Aristotle has been much, much more influential on Western philosophy than Plato has in a lot of mm-hmm, ways.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I think one of those is, is because of this this division between... Um, philosophy as a body of knowledge and philosophy as a as a process and a method and aristotle's you know he's firmly on the um body of knowledge side of things Hmm. um but also you know aristotle um survived in latin Mm -hmm. when plato didn't so he got picked up by medieval scholars and plato kind of disappeared for a few hundred years and didn't really pop up again until the 15th century when. The Turks conquered Constantinople and a bunch of Greek refugees moved west with with their Greek literature. Yeah.
1: Okay. But so Uh, they have it. It's just that nobody else does?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, there was this division between the the Greek-speaking East and the the Latin-speaking West. And there wasn't a whole lot of uh, intellectual interchange between them. Right,
1: right, right, right. Of course. Um uh, okay. This is yeah. this is making I mean, more I've sense sense got,
0: i I've got more to say about philosophy in Greece and I, I think we're gonna have to at some point we're gonna have to come back and do do another episode that involves Greek um stuff. But yeah, I, sure. I just want I wanna say uh, I think an important point, like I've I've talked about um Plato as being a um a literary philosopher, but before Plato so Socrates didn't write anything. He mm-hmm, he worked right. entirely in, in uh uh, as an oral Great philosopher. Speech. Yeah. Yep. But before him ph- philosophy was primarily composed in verse.
1: Ah. Primarily, maybe it's in-
0: maybe entirely? Like if like you read the
1: presocratics. Who are those guys?
0: Anaximander, Parmenides. Um oh shoot, what's the guy's name?
1: Who's the guy uh, who's like I want to know where the blue goes out of the sky when the sky's not blue anymore?
0: Oh, I don't know. That's a nice line though. Yeah, right. Um Yeah, so so all those guys uh, wrote um, wrote in verse, Mm -hmm. sure, which I think is interesting.
1: Well, I mean, it brings us full circle in some ways that poetry used to be imbued in a lot more things, and I guess maybe that's what I meant by the poetic, and there is a kind of, like, splitting off of these different artistic disciplines and scholarly or intellectual disciplines where these things start to break apart, and they break down even more and more and more, and it continues well, to Oh, that's
0: what I was trying to think of. Oh, yeah, him. Yeah, he's good. But,
1: um, I mean, and somebody like Wagner, who is, like, I mean, just a jerk in a lot of ways, but like his, his whole thing is to sort of bring this all back together uh, and create yeah. like what he the, calls... The artwork of the future. Yeah. Gesamtkunstwerk, which is this sort of like total work of art where yeah. everything gets like smushed back together, but it's right. it's actually really a problem in a lot of ways. but Artistically but like to, or politically? Both. But, yeah. but to try to recapture that kind of totalizing... Th- thing um but right it makes a lot of sense that things were written in verse um i mean doesn't it or does so, it? maybe it doesn't maybe, no, maybe i think it's it does like unnecessarily difficult to rhyme things or something
0: well i mean greek verse doesn't really rhyme much it's, it's there you uh, go it's, <laughs> but
1: it's it's a meter it's a quantitative
0: it is but it's, it's yeah. a quantitative meter so it's about mm-hmm. the length of syllables
1: mm, like Marianne moore
0: okay <laughs> um i so i would say it, my my guess is that the, that it just comes out of um the transition from oral to mm-hmm written work where is that
1: because it's easier to remember when something is yeah yeah
0: exactly exactly that's that's my guess i honestly Mm -hmm. don't know but my Mm -hmm. my guess would be that that things were written in verse so that people could memorize them sure because not maybe not everyone who was interested could have a written copy
1: and that's still true i mean with when you think about um like there are very few but there are still surviving epic histories and epic poems that are performed by bards Mm -hmm. in some cultures that have a similar kind of rhythmic or metrical or rhyming scheme because the the job the task of those bards is to memorize
0: right and there's no way you you can't memorize that much prose i wouldn't think so yeah
1: yeah you'd have to be I mean, they are, there are families of these bards that, you know, this is sort of their family business for, for centuries and mm-hmm. generations. But, uh, so maybe there's some, but you'd have to be extraordinary to really just memorize. Yeah, but but verse,
0: yeah, yeah, you can memorize hours and hours of, mm-hmm. of verse.
1: And yeah. you would have your, you know, your encourager, your kind of hype man to, to remind you of pieces Oh, as you go. that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh.
0: I didn't know about that. Yeah. So like, so so he's gonna like bust in, like. So what about that time when he did this? And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just getting to that.
1: So, sometimes, or just kind of keeps the beat, like keeps, uh, like sort of a like a beat box. Okay. Huh.
0: Like
1: to 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 say like yes, like it's a call and response, but you're just sort of responding, like you know, at the end of each line to sort of say like yep, 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 yep. Huh. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. We can talk about that some other time. Are
0: you, are you? Well, just are you thinking of, of any particular? I am.
1: Culture? I'm thinking about Mande um, culture, which has these epics and these bards. Um, that uh, there's several different types of bards, but they are um, they are kind of keepers of history and huh. keepers of poetry.
0: Um, where where are they? Where's In they? Mali. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Cool. Yeah. Yeah, um, so okay, so you've clarified a lot of this for me, but at the same time, I'm still like I'm so kind of romantically uh, entranced by like, Homer and the 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 sh- stork faced ships and the and the wine dark sea and and like Aristophanes and like all the silly jokes, but also like the I don't know, red pottery and all these things, but like, mm-hmm. am I just, am I just sort of like, it's the cartoon version? Like I'm not getting a real picture of what this world was or maybe I can't, maybe there's no way to recover that picture.
0: I mean, I think, sure. I think that's true. I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, recover the picture, like, like to know, to, to like have like a mental.
1: Just like know what of, it would, Yeah. What it was, what it would feel like to be there.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's an exercise of imagination that, the historical imagination that that would just i guess need to be um informed by lots and lots of study
1: mm-hmm.
0: um which i, mean, I haven't I think, done yeah and i mean mm-hmm. it, it, it yeah and and i think again I, I would just come back to like the big big differences between like bronze age Gre- greece and mm-hmm. iron age greece
1: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
0: cultural and linguistic and material obviously mm-hmm. um, i guess yeah. yeah
1: but there's a kind of assumption that we all know what this was yeah yeah you know like oh the first democracy or something and then there's the and there's the, the backlash of like no it wasn't well, really democratic and then there's all the fights about that but it's and, not really rooted in very much of anything in terms and, of specifics yeah
0: and I, I know you know this but i think it can also sort of help help get you out of like a cartoon mm. uh, view is to just remind yourself that all those Classical white marble buildings were painted Colored. all sorts of crazy, yeah. gaudy colors, and and the statues were all painted.
1: Yeah, the, all their faces were like painted, totally, and like they totally had eyes made and up. Lips yeah, and,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. And and sort of, I think remembering that can help make it feel realer yeah. and less oh, for like sure. less like you're just walking down walking around an old version of Washington D.C. or something. <laughs> you
1: know? But at the same time, it's like so uh, apparent that we have this like distorted wacky view because if you go to the mu- any museum and you see like 19th century sculpture it's all this white marble mm-hmm. stuff because sculptors think that that th- thought that that's what sculpture was yeah right yeah and it's like completely um i mean it's beautiful i think sure but it's and there's artificial- something I mean, I mean it doesn't have any it doesn't have any connection to the thing that they thought it was connected to if that makes sense yeah
0: right it's beautiful for its own reasons Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but there's all these 19th century sculptures of like figures from Greek myth, and I think the idea was to sort of capture to to recreate some of that stuff. But then of course it's all sort of I don't know. Is it ironic? That's probably not the right thing to say. It's just it's very interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: So so the truth is that I'm not wrong so much as I need more instruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's something like that. That sounds right. Yeah,
1: um, I'm curious, and I don't have all the information.
0: Yeah, and I'm I, you know we'll, we'll we'll come back to this because I yeah, think I there's think there's a lot more to to say about ancient Greece, and I think maybe having done this round, I think maybe we can come back with something that's a little bit more focused mm-hmm. um, in a few episodes, maybe.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So.
0: So, Sophie, I think we I think we should stop there. We're just about at an hour here. I think
1: you're right. I'm looking at the time as well.
0: Yeah. So, um, thanks everyone for listening. Once again, uh, you should follow me on Twitter since it's a place of beauty and wonder. Yes. Uh, <laughs> follow me at, at Amosworth. Don't follow Sophie because she's not there. Uh, you can follow, follow me
1: away from Twitter. <laughs> follow you, me to the hills.
0: You can also follow the the show at tmwiw podcast. Um you should check out our website, uh tmwiw.net. Uh there's show notes for each episode, so that's going to be tmwiw.net/s1e2 for this episode. Um with links for all the things that we talked about. And that's probably it, isn't it?
1: I think it is. Oh
0: yeah, tell tell all your friends about the show. Uh, if you if you like the show, share it with your friends so that they can listen to it as well.
1: And who wouldn't want to see people telling each other why they're wrong? In this without... most
0: holy of holiday seasons, give, <laughs> give the gift of tell me why I'm wrong.
1: In, an, in a nice way, without getting too mad at each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, well, I guess, I guess that's that. Uh, good What's talking that? to you, Sophie.
1: Great to talk to you, too. Bye. Bye.